Welcome and thank you for your choice in listening to Lit Muses podcast with your host, Beryl. Lit Muses has guest performances that include varied literary themes and genres, such as monologues, spoken word, short stories, haiku, and poetry. We are motivated in making our podcast ADA accessible. Our first guest is Hope Harley, who will be performing a monologue from Pearl Kledge's Flying West. Before Hope presented her choice of monologues, I absolutely knew nothing about Pearl Kledge or Flying West. The play is a historical fiction set in the real town of Nicodemus, Kansas in 1898. Kletcher's sensitivity as a writer is particularly revealed through her characterization of women. She points out her protagonist's strengths such as leadership and their strong bond with other women while celebrating them as the sheroes of their stories. Her idea to write Flying West was sparked after she read an article written by Ida B. Wells in the 1890s, where Ida was urging African Americans to leave their homes in Memphis for the West in search of freedom. Pearl Kledge is an African American playwright and uses this medium to portray the fortitude of black women, their struggle for existence in the dominant patriarchal society. Actually, that's what it sounds like living today is in 2022. And these women that Kledge portrayed can tide over any difficult situation in their lives. Hope is playing the character of Miss Leah, who is a 73-year-old woman who spent most of her life in slavery. She is feisty, demands respect, speaks her mind and believes strongly in the oral tradition. After her performance, we will have a conversation with Hope and her thoughts about Flying West. Am I feeling all right? If I was you, I'd be worrying about folks talking about shooting somebody. That's who I'd be worrying about. It's a messy business shooting folks. It ain't like killing a hog, you know. Sheriff got to come. White folks got to come. All that come with shooting somebody. But folks die in all kinds of ways. Sometimes they be going along just as nice as you please, and their heart just give out, just like that. Don't nobody know why things just happen. One day, a little bit before I left the plantation, Colonel Harrison bought him a new cook, Ella. She was a big, strong woman. She didn't make no trouble either just worked hard and kept to herself. Ella knew a lot about herbs, what to put in to make it taste good. Colonel Harrison just loved the way she cooked. He used to let her roam all over the plantation picking her wild herbs to put in her soups and stews. 
and she wouldn't tell nobody what she used. Said it was secrets from Africa. White folks didn't need to know. <laughs> Colonel Harrison just laughed. He was eating good and didn't care about where it come from, no way. But after a while, that overseer started messing around her. Trying to get Colonel Harrison to let him have his way with her. But Colonel Harrison said no and told him to stay from around her. She belonged in the kitchen. But that old overseer still wanted her. And everybody knew the next time he had a chance, he was going to get her. So one day, Colonel Harrison went to town. Gonna be gone all day. So that overseer put some poor colored man in charge of our misery. And he walked on up to the house like he the master now that Colonel Harrison had gone off. And when he walked up onto the back porch, he had one thing on his mind. But Ella had been up early too. And the first thing he saw before he even saw her was a fresh apple pie cooling in the window. And it smelled so good, he almost forgot what he come for. <laughs> and Ella opened up the screen door and she smiled like he the person she wanted to see most in this world. And she asked him if he'd like a glass of cold milk and a piece of her hot apple pie. Of course he did. <laughs> what man wouldn't? And he sat down there and she cut him a big old slice. And she told him it was hot and to be careful not to burn himself. And do you know what happened? Well, he never got to finish that piece of pie Ella cut for him so pretty. Heart just stopped right in the middle of a great big bite. By the time the master got home, they had him lay down in the barn and Ella was long gone. But she did do one last thing before she left. She gave me her recipe for apple pie. I hope that you've enjoyed Hope as Miss Leah as much as I have. I'm happy to introduce Hope Harley for our conversation part of the podcast. Hello, Hope, and welcome. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation to be Lit Muses Podcasts first guest performer. Well, thank you for inviting me. So you chose to perform a monologue from Pearl Kledge's Flying West. You also alerted me to the fact that I was pronouncing Pearl's last name, Kledge, incorrectly. So if you would let me know what or how it is supposed to sound, um, please do. Well, um, I was also pronouncing it incorrectly, mm-hmm. and because um, I, I was saying that it's Pearl Cleage, right? 
Um, but after I heard you say Kledge, I said, well, maybe it's Kledge. Mm -hmm. so I went online and I found an actual interview with Pearl Clegg. Wow. Clegg. And yes. I said, oh. So let's move on from there. The genre of um, this particular play I read because I did a lot of research once you told me about the monologue and the playwright, I knew nothing about Pearl or Flying West. So in doing some of the research, I found that the genre for this particular play is considered a historical fiction because it is based on a, a true place and an historical time in, in America. Um, what were your thoughts on Pearl Plague and playing Flying West character, Miss Leah? Well, I know that you did a lot more research than I did, because um, I've never actually done the full play, uh, but I've all, but I've seen it, mm -hmm. and um, because the play is, I, I would say, produced fairly frequently um, at companies throughout the country. Uh, but I saw it probably a decade ago, and I always liked it um, because women are domi the dominant characters in the play. It's you know it's female heavy, and they're not weak characters. They're all strong characters with with their own thoughts and their own ambitions and all of that. So I thought that was interesting. And there's, you know, there's a lot of humor in the play. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there's education in the play, because I didn't know about Nicodemus, Kansas, and never even thought about women post-enslavement moving, no, moving out on their own, being independent. It's right. not something that you associate with the late 1800s right. for, for any race of women. Mm -hmm. Um, for any woman, but for black women in particular, uh, never even considered that that might be a possibility. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I was I I just always liked the themes of the play. So. Right. Well, I had read that um, Pearl was commissioned to do this play um, by a theater called the Alliance Theater. Mm -hmm. And she said that she was um, she was uh, inspired to do it actually by reading something that was written by Ida B. Wells in the late 1890s, where she was writing women or families to leave Memphis and to go out west, you know, to to gain their own freedom, you know. Um, from all of the things that were happening. Economic freedom, yeah. Economic freedom, but also freedom from um, the Jim Crow <laughs> that was happening in, in the South after um, slave slavery was, was over. Because mm -hmm. um, it, 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 even though the actual slavery was over, the hate-filled feeling that was left over 
was still there and very and dominant still is. and still is and and that's one of the reasons why i, en I enjoyed um learning about this play because it's something that i feel as though if it was done today it would do a service to people because mm -hmm. of of the historic meaning and the outcome right you know? so i um, i agree i agree um i think that's the mark of a good play right that the play the play in in whatever time it's been you know translates well Mm -hmm. And yes. um, and I think that Pearl Clegg, <laughs> we all pronounce that name right, right. Um, um, you know, did a, a fantastic job. But the play is almost thirty years old now. Right, and right. But it's definitely apropos for today's setting in so many ways. So many. You know, the fact that you know women's rights have been uh, recently taken away by the Supreme Court's. Uh, decision to end Roe versus Wade. Um, so you know the craziness that's happening in the in our government from the president, the ex president on down, is something again that um, can be thought of as well. She she's noted as um, an African American playwright that is a playwright of the theater of revolt which is a place where playwrights can voice their opinions and oppositions to social changes and injustices. This is, I've, I found out in my, in my research about her and, mm -hmm. and the play. And um, the theater of revolt is where radical ideas are born, challenging the status quo. So you know that this could definitely be um, done today and, and enjoyed by the public. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, you said that the reason why you chose the play was because of um, it having the abundance of women as characters. And is there any particular reason that you chose to play Miss Leah? Well, I chose Miss Leah, first of all, but she's in my age group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she's the oldest character in the play. Okay. And, um, and I like the humor of this monologue. I, I just liked her overall attitude uh, throughout the play. Mm -hmm. um, and I never had an opportunity, even though the play has been done uh, many times over the years, I've never had an opportunity to even audition for a production. Right. And, um, and I almost came close because a couple of friends of mine who live here in Teaneck, New Jersey, a few years ago, started a company called Who's On Stage, a theater company. Mm -hmm. And the first year we did just readings, you know, we chose some readings and the three of us worked on readings from plays and poems and things like that. Um, this, the, in 2019, I guess, we expanded to monologues and scenes from plays using other actors as well. And I had considered doing this monologue from uh, Flying West. In fact, I think we also considered doing a scene from Flying West, but that got pushed by the wayside, didn't do it. So when you asked me, you know, to do something. Yeah, I'm pick like, a monologue, yes. I said, this is it, mm -hmm. this is it right here. Well, I enjoyed it and I wanted to tell you, you did such an excellent job that I hope that I will, well, I, it will be on YouTube. 
as well as my website. So outside of the podcast, if people want to um, see you in that performance, I will be giving a link on the um, on, on SoundCloud so that people can uh, refer to it. And also, you know, I'm trying to also be ADA accessible. So I'm hoping that um, it will be looked at because of the closed captions and transcriptions that people of all different audiences will also be able to enjoy it. So I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, I'm really, I really would like, you know, that to be part of my whole podcasting, you know, production. When did you decide to get into acting because it's not something that you've always done let us know the journey you went through to get to the point that you're at now okay um well I started out as a child (laughs) anyway I I think I always wanted to be an actor didn't get a lot of opportunity to do that until high school and in high school I joined our what is really the drama club, but it was called production class. Uh-huh. And in that class, we did all kinds of pieces from, we did an anti-war piece called Bury the Dead, where the soldiers that um, had been killed in the war refused to lie down and be buried. You know, that was their protest against- The um, Vietnam War. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't the Vietnam War. I think it was really World War One. Okay. One, but but it was just anti-war overall. Right. Um, and I did, you know, with some sort of performance. I did some kind of skit as Phyllis Diller of all people. Like younger people don't even know who Phyllis Diller is. <laughs> right. Um, right. Um, but if you if you Google her name, you'll see it. She was a very funny. Um, female, white female comedian. And I don't know what I was doing, but I was up there and I made people laugh. So that was, that was the be all. I actually, re- I do remember you playing that. I do. Because re- I remember you wearing that dress again. Yeah, I believe when we went out to a disco. Exactly. <laughs> You're right. Because <laughs> I had the silver dress that I made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually um, made it myself, but I used that silver dress. And yes, we did. We did uh-huh. the disco. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was the, the mod period. Yes, it was the mod period. Okay, <laughs> now you're really giving away our age. Baby. That's okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> but thank God for it. Um, so, but then after high school, I really didn't do anything at all. Mm-hmm. Um, always in the back of my mind, you know, the same little girl that practiced her Academy Award um, uh, recipient speech with the hairbrush, you know, I was probably doing it when I was 45. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, oh, if only, oh, I wish I could have played a part like that, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and finally, I was in my early 50s when my son, who was by then an adult, and well into adulthood, um, took a class at the Frederick Douglass uh, Creative Arts Center. Mm-hmm. And he took a class in screenwriting and he called me and he said you know they have acting classes here maybe you might want to try that since you're always talking about being an actor so I took it as a challenge 
and enrolled in a class with a woman by the name of Petronia Pavey, who is still in my life. She is, she, I've taken multiple classes with her, among others, and thinking about taking her class in the fall, actually, because, you know, you can never get enough learning. Right. You can't, you know, you ne that is never ending. Right, you can always hone your skills. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. She is my friend, she is my mentor, she's just a wonderful person. So, did that, but I did that for like, seven eight years and then finally I said why are you taking all of these classes what are you going to do with it right and I decided and I believe it was the beginning of 2009 I committed myself that as a, a resolution for that year that I was going to audition for something and I auditioned for a piece um, I don't know where I found the audition notice. Um, I auditioned for a piece and it wasn't a play. It was some kind of production that a young woman was putting together for women who had been through kind of hard times. And I guess these pieces were supposed to encourage them. Mm -hmm. And I went on this audition, my very, 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 very first. I was terrified. And um, they handed out the sides, you know, so people could get familiar with what, you know, they wanted you to say. And I was the very last person to go in. And I had emailed this woman because I didn't know if she was looking for experienced actors. Mm -hmm. And I had zero experience, zero. Except for the little things we did in class, I had zero experience. And I told her that, and she told me to audition anyway. And I went in last and did, by that time, I had practically memorized the piece that she gave us and did my audition. She thanked me, I left. And then later that night, she emailed me with this wonderful email that I still have to this day, because I printed it out and I keep it. She said, I would have never known this was your first audition. You were wonderful, and I'd like to offer you the part. And I was flabbergasted. I know, I can imagine. Um, but of course, that production never happened. Mm -hmm. But it gave me the boost I needed, I think, right. to say, okay, maybe I can do this. Right, it empowered you. It did. It no, even even the fact of the purpose of, of her production, it was, I think, very good. It's something that probably should be done again in terms of empowering women who are who are going through certain issues you know it could be abuse or you know any number of things um i think that's a, a great way to empower them yeah and i think that um at least for me uh the most powerful pieces the most plays you know tv shows movies mm -hmm. are are those that not only entertain you but also make you think, give you bits of education, um, uplift you in some way. And, um, and those are the kinds of pieces that I look for. You know, they're not always there uh -huh. unless you write them yourself. I mean, I'm, I, I, I've been trying to write for myself. Um, I haven't gotten far with that, but but you know, those are the kinds of things that I'm interested in doing. Things that 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 yes, entertain. Yes, you know, you want to go and be entertained, mm -hmm. but you also want 
leave I want I want people to leave with something to talk about. Right. Yes. Yes. I love that idea. So um what are some of the roles that you played? I know you played some part in Emmett Till's life and a raisin yes. in the sun. What what are some of the roles that you've played? Yes, well, a raisin in the sun. I played Mama and the Raisin in the Sun at Gallery Players in Brooklyn. And that was really my first big role. I mean, that was a big role. And uh again, terrifying audition. Terrifying because I went in there and I saw people that I knew and I knew their talent and I knew their ability. And I said, okay, hope you ain't got a chance. But if you go in there, you know, you know, for the experience, because you know, it's a good experience to audition yes. and all of that. And then I got a call back. And again, I went in there with people that I saw that I knew. And I said, I don't have a chance in hell of getting this. Mm -hmm. Then they offered it to me. And, and then I said, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> true, true, very true. Because I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? But I got yes. to point, um, I won't, I'll critique myself. I won't say it was, it certainly wasn't the best mama that has ever been done on stage, but I held my own because I was among a lot of experienced, more experienced actors. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful experience for me. And um, and then I got an opportunity to play Emmett Till's mother mm -hmm. uh, through a production uh, called Whistle in Mississippi. And this was uh, Shades of Truth Theater. And, and their mission is to highlight forgotten stories about black folks in America. Mm -hmm. uh, um, maybe not necessarily forgotten, but stories that need, you know, to be out there to, for us to know about. And I got to play Emmett's mom at multiple times because we took that show to schools. We took it, you know, to different um, church audiences. Uh, I must have played that role at least 10, 15 times. And it was wonderful. I, you know, that was the kind of theater that I want to do. Right, right. Um, and then most recently, uh, I guess it really is my biggest role to date. And that was uh, you know, at a regional theater, Ivoryton Playhouse in Connecticut. And it was a three week run of having our say, the Delaney sisters first 100 years. Mm -hmm. And it was challenging because it's only a two person play and there's about 50,000 words in that play. And I wow. said, I'm never gonna remember all of this. Um, but on most nights I remember it, 49,900 <laughs> <laughs> something. Um, but, um, but certainly again, it was a story about these real life women uh, from this amazing, you know, African-American family uh, the vestiges of which are still here, productive. They were just an amazing family. Uh -huh. All of those children, they were doctors and lawyers and dentists. Uh, the, the character I played, Bessie Delaney, was a dentist in Harlem for many years. Um, her sister Sadie, um, they lived together uh, for decades and decades and decades. Neither of them ever married. Sadie was the first black high school teacher in the city. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, you know, they're just a very, very accomplished family. Right. And um, it was wonderful. It was challenging, uh, but it brought together all of the elements that I liked. It was educational. It was funny. It was, you know, and entertaining. Right. And it gave people insight into the lives of this wonderful family. Right. Well, with the role with, with so much to memorize, what happens if you don't remember a line do, and you're on stage? Oh, God, you make up. You make okay. up. Or, or sometimes you're, you know, your fellow actor helps you. I mean, right. you know, maybe they prompt you. Maybe mm-hmm. they just say the next line and you go on. I mean, we mm-hmm. had a couple of nights where, especially at the very beginning of the run, where... Um, you know, both of us went up on our lines. I know I, <laughs> I'm playing Bessie, and and I called Sadie Bessie a few times in the first right. Or something, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, people must be really confused. Why am I calling <laughs> Bessie? But it's funny. Know, things happen. You just go on, and if and if you, and I think I don't know if if the audiences remember it. So yeah, you stumble here and there. But if you just press on, then, you know, they forget that. And, you know, you're they're into this story and right. these people. So, and everybody misspeaks. Right, um, right, right, right. Well, I, I, I would like you just to take a moment to um, talk about the fact that you were in corporate America mm-hmm. for so many years and... Um, just to give people who may be um, getting ready to retire and they think that that might be the end of what they're doing to encourage them to go out and try something that they haven't tried or that they've been wanting to do for, you know, all the years that they had to, to work instead. Well, I always say that retirement is what you work for. You know, you work for the opportunity to get to the place where you don't have to work anymore, where your time is your own. And I would encourage anybody, even pre-retirement, mm-hmm. if there's something that you want to do, get involved. I mean, I started taking acting classes while I was still working. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years after I had retired that I started auditioning. It's still right. sort of floundering around. But you realize that you live until you die. So live it, you know, Mm -hmm. don't stop. Um, Yeah, you might not move as quickly as you used to, or you might not feel as as good as you did when, you know, you were 30. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are other things that you gain um, with age. I certainly know that if I had started acting when I was younger, if I had started acting in my 20s, I don't know. I don't know if I would have made it in the sense that I don't know if I would still be acting now because it's a tough business. There's a lot of rejection. You know, people say no a lot. You hear a lot more no's and yeses. Right. And um, and I don't know if my ego could have taken it at 25. Right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, now I'm like, okay, you like it. Okay, I wasn't what you were looking for, and you just move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I also think it's so important 
to learn new things and to keep your mind as active as you can, because I believe all of that helps to keep you from the throes of dementia and Alzheimer's or whatever the case may be that may not be biological. Um, so it's important to, to, to always keep it moving and enjoying and enjoying what life has to offer and challenges. The, I think the challenges are even more important than anything else to have a challenge in your life mm -hmm. um, that, that, that you can meet. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, that doesn't mean that there are some days when I say, oh, God, what am I doing? Of you course, know, why? <laughs> you know, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. But then there are other days um, where, you know, I say, wow, I'm really doing this. Right. I'm, right. And I'm proud of myself. Right. And, you know, I may never be able to give that Oscar speech or a Tony mm -hmm. speech or an Emmy speech or anything like that. But I am, I'm really kind of proud of, of what I've done. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, they've been, oh God, they were plays. Mm, 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 mm. Right, exactly. It was really where there were more people on the stage <laughs> than they were in the audience. Mm -hmm. They were not good. Right. But, you know, it was an opportunity to try something. So. Right. Well, I am so happy that you did the monologue. Um, playing Miss Leah from Pearl Plagues of uh, Flying West. And I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone is going to enjoy that. And definitely we'll be doing something else in the future. Okay. Well, thank you, B. Beryl. Absolutely. I, you know, I've known I, her for a lot of years. So I, I can yes. show her my name to B. Absolutely. All right. I will we'll talk soon. Thank you again. Love Bye. you. Love you too. Bye-bye. Hoping that you like what you heard, please join us for Lit Muse's monthly episode found on SoundCloud. So until we meet again, be well, be happy, and please come back. <laughs>